Welcome to the FishCast. What a great first weekend of college football. FSU shocks everyone by taking the Notre Dame Fighting Irish into overtime and almost pulling off the biggest upset in college football this season. The Miami Hurricanes found out what big-time football was like as number one Alabama took the Hurricanes down hard. The Florida Gators had to deal with the pesky owls from Boca Raton. In Central Florida, the Knights had to come from behind to pull off an impressive win over Boise State. It is not good to be last. And that is what USF is right now in the state of Florida. We will discuss each of these games and much, much more. Good afternoon. Um, Happy Labor Day. Is that the day that we are recording this? And welcome to the first post, uh, first college football season edition of the FishCast. And what a week one we have to talk about. Let's get the introductions out of the way quickly. My name is Corey Long. I do a bunch of stuff. Uh, let's go to Charles Fishbein. He does a bunch of stuff. Coach Chris Demarest, Coach Demo used to be a coach. Let's talk. That's great. Let's talk. Hey, about- I'm still a coach. I used to be. Still a co- He's still a coach. Let's talk about week one. Um, we'll go right out of the box. Like I said, let's talk Florida State last night. Um, a a long anticipated, um, long anticipated game against Notre Dame uh, Sunday night prime time. We didn't have any idea what to expect. Uh, Florida State falls forty-one to thirty-eight in overtime. They uh, score eighteen points in the fourth quarter to tie the game up. Uh, Mackenzie Milton is responsible for ten points on the final two drives of the game. Uh, Notre Dame. Scores 21 in the third, takes an 18-point lead. It was back and forth. Uh, And we can talk about Notre Dame, what they did right, what they did wrong later. But Florida State, um, I'm not – I'm not – I don't believe in moral victories. You you win, you win, you lose, you lose. But this this is as close to a moral victory as you can get, I think. (laughs) Um, Fish, I was there. Me and Fish watched it together uh, down in – down in Boca Raton, uh, so I'll get his thoughts in a second. Coach Demo, what did you think of the Seminoles' performance? Two words, Bobby Bowden. That's it. They played with complete and utter emotion from that man. And you got to give credit to Norvell. He had him ready. And when we had him on the show, you got to realize we told him that Tallahassee on game day is a magical place. It's magical. Things happen in Tallahassee when football season is, you know, that stadium reminded me of back in 98 when we were there and you come out to that. Oh, and F L O R I D A S T A T E Florida state, Florida state, Florida state. Woo. I'll tell you what, man, that place was rocking and things could happen. You're right, Corey. I don't believe in moral victories either, but those guys now have to live up to that standard that they played against Notre Dame because Notre Dame had war daddies. Let's not lie. They had war daddies all over the place. Okay. You've seen the expression on Kelly's face. Oh shit. We're in for a good one tonight. Cause he's still looking on his face. You've seen it. So all I got to say is Florida state has a chance to build off this. If they don't, that'd be a shame, but they do have a chance to build off this. All right. Um, so fish, you know, you and I were there together. <laughs> You've probably had a chance to maybe watch it. Again, I mean, I've had a chance to watch the uh, condensed version on YouTube again. Uh, is there anything – what do you want to add to what Demo said? You, you, you hear that sound, Corey? You, you hear that? That's for you and me <laughs> because let's be honest. Don't You, you got to shoot it straight. When we're right, we're going to brag. We were very, very wrong about this game. I'm going to admit it. I was like, Yeah, I, I, thought, I, I, thought, I thought Notre Dame would win by – 17 to 20 points. I didn't think, I think we both thought what happened in the first half would happen. I just thought Florida state was going to wear down. I didn't think that they had that second win in them that they did that came in the fourth quarter once. Cause I mean, it's 38 to 20. You and I are both looking at this thing. Like, you know, we're going to leave after, you know, in another five minutes or so we're, we're, we're getting our check. We were done because yep. it felt like it was done. Yeah. I mean, Listen, I I thought that Notre Dame just had the better team. Uh, Demo, what's crazy is I, I think Demo and I pretty much felt the same way about the team going into the game, but he continued to stress 
the emotion side of it. And I, I'm like, all right, listen, I'm the emotion side's great, but Demo's been there. And I, I'm going to give him a lot of credit because he did tell me that he felt not only that Florida State would come to play, but win the game. And they should have um, at the end of the day that, I, you know, they should have pulled this one out and they didn't. But you got to give Norvell a lot of credit. I thought Notre Dame uh, played, a, played a very good game for most of the game. And then, you know, once they got up at 18 and I've said this, it's I don't know what it is about Coach Kelly. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal coach, but for some reason he takes the foot off the gas in a lot of games that he gets a big lead. And for his sake, he's got to learn from that because if he ever wants to take Notre Dame to that next level, you got to crush a team when they're down. Uh, I mean, you remember when Florida state went to Clemson, they put it on them early and they didn't let off and great teams. That's how they win. Alabama did that to Miami. They suffocated them early uh, coach Norvell. What he did was, and we talked about it, he kept the game close and he gave himself a puncher's chance at the end to lay in that one haymaker. They had Notre Dame on the ropes at the end. Milton, is a big, big difference, and we're going to get into that. But overall, I, I think you got to come away with this like we talk about. We don't believe in moral victories, but this is about as close to a victory as you could get. I think from a recruiting standpoint, they hit a home run. Um, For sure. Corey, real quick, you know, a couple of times in that game, I felt the same way. Give me the check, game's over. I really did because I said, man, Notre Dame has finally wore down Florida State. But Florida State spunk, and it kept playing. And – I, I'm a big non-transfer portal guy, but a couple of those guys like that number 11 really, really helped them out down the stretch and in the entire game because he's been in that before. And I'll say this, and, I, and you're going to get, you're going to think I'm crazy. Florida State is one or two recruiting classes away from being an SEC team. They ought to be pounding on the table to get it in the SEC because they are an SEC team. Now, you might be thinking I'm nuts. That's fine. Just like you thought I was nuts that they were going to win last night. But they didn't win. You're right. They didn't win. They didn't win. But a couple of times during that game, I really thought it was over. But Florida State came back, and they hung in, and they fought. And I'll tell you, Fish is right. You know, some of these guys, man, all of a sudden, it was almost like Notre Dame was saying, here, come back and win. And Florida State said, you're crazy. We'll take advantage of this. We're going to do it. And that's what they did. And like you said, we'll talk about the Mackenzie Milton thing later on. But I'll tell you what, the Florida State kids showed a lot, a lot of courage last night when they played them. Yeah, I mean, the one thing, Corey, and you know this, is if when you're playing a team that you're better than, and especially when you're in their house, you got you cannot give that team life. If you give them life, college sports is a lot, like Demo said, especially when a team like Florida State's at home, or I saw it with Miami a couple years ago, ago against a Notre Dame team they shouldn't have been on the field. And Miami, Miami just jumped on them early like a crazed dog, and, and that emotion in that stadium got, and the players got involved, and they never were out of it, even though they were down by 18, and they should have been. I mean, Florida State... Listen, I, I'm not taking anything away from what they did on the field. I thought they outcoached Notre Dame. I thought they outplayed them. They weren't the better team. Notre Dame no. was a better team. But the better team doesn't always win. And in college football, especially when you get a team at home at night like they did, it was a lot of emotion. And you get one – all it took was Notre Dame had two or three good drives and they didn't capitalize. And then all of a sudden, Florida State popped that 70-yard touchdown run. And the game went from what should have been a 10-17 to 17 nothing lead to it's tied. Now Notre Dame's in a game. And every time Notre Dame took that lead, they never put that foot on that Florida State's throat like they should have. And Florida State took advantage of it. And you got to give them credit. Those kids, listen, we watched every FSU game last year. They quit in these same type of situations. And I think, like Demo said, I'm not a transfer portal thing, but a lot of these guys, when you come from Georgia, like the, the number 11 did, Jermaine Johnson, and he's from a winning program, they, those kids aren't going to quit. Not right now. Maybe later in the season if the team's not that good and he has an NFL potential to play for that. But right now, he's still engaged. Those guys are engaged, and it showed. And, and this 100% of this deserves goes to that coaching staff. We've knocked them before. They deserve all the credit. Those players – deserve all the credit they bought in and they played a phenomenal game. Now, like Demo said, it's, you don't want one loss to turn into two or three coaches. I know they say it's a cliche, but you don't want the net, this game to beat you twice. You don't, we've talked about it. The Wake Forest game on the road, will they be as jacked up going on a road against a team that they should be? And it's a tough place to play. Demos played there. He's seen he's seen top Florida State teams going to Winston Salem, and the game's tied at halftime. 
and the team had to make the adjustments. So you don't want to lose that momentum. And it could happen because games change from game to game. You don't know if the team's going to come out as hyped for that game. So they need to take advantage of this. We've talked about it before. I don't think record's that important for Florida State this year. No matter what happened last night, there's still, a, you could say, five wins, six, seven win. They're not going to win 10 games. This team, if they lose, they got to lose like they lost last night, where players that they're recruiting go, if I'm in that game, I'm the difference between winning and losing. That is why last night's important. Those recruits didn't care that they lost because, you know what, in their minds, they're going, damn, man, if I'm on that field, Florida State wins. And that's an attitude of the recruits that you're recruiting. Demo knows what it's all about, and it makes it easier to recruit those kids because you're like, listen, we know we're not that good, but kid, you come here, you're going to be able to come in year one and make the difference next year we beat Notre Dame with you. Um, all right. So, you know, we can we can get in later about, you know, where uh, about where Florida State's headed. It'd probably be better conversation for next week after they play Jacksonville State, a game they should win quite easily. Let's talk about the Milton thing. Um, Jordan Travis got the start like we all predicted he would. Um he played for he was it was his game. I mean, in essence, there was no there was no two quarterback system. He gets his helmet knocked off during a uh, during a sack or a throwaway or something. I, I forget. Milton comes in to my surprise because I, you know, fish. We're both sitting here. We're wondering if Milton can play. We're wondering if physically if he's even been cleared. He goes out there, makes a couple of very good plays, leads him to a touchdown, gets the ball back. He. Um, you know, I think he could have led him to another touchdown. He had kind of a, a botched uh, – he kind of had a, he had, a, he had an issue on a back pedal. He, he got a little tuck rule bail. No, it wasn't that – it was just a bad snap. It was a bad it was snap. a bad snap that went over his head for like a 30-yard 30, 30 30 thing happened in overtime. Yeah, yeah the uh, bad snap that goes over his head, they end up getting the field goal, tying it at 38. What do you do with Milton going forward? Um, I'm of the belief that I don't think he can – playing full games yet I don't think he I don't think that they believe that they can that he can physically hold up for an entire game you have Jacksonville State next week that's an easy game you can play them two possessions they can get up 14 nothing you can put in Travis let him play out you know a couple quarters and put in your back you know go deep into your bench and you're going to win that game 50 to 7 56 to 10 whatever but how do you manufacture? How do you how do you get the most out of Milton moving forward and keep his availability for every game? I'm gonna jump in, and I think Demo could you know get into this a little more. The one thing you did see last night was his ability, even when the pressure was in his face, he made a throw across the middle of the field that Jordan Travis will never make. I mean, he made an NFL throw with a guy in his chest. He threw it between two defenders. And it, that, that's what he does, and he's so special. But you also saw something that's a concern is FSU struggled in pass pro last night. And what are they going to do? They're going to have to have more screens. They're going to have to they're going to have to do things to slow down the pass rush of other teams that they face in the future. Because one thing Notre Dame showed in that game, they could put pressure on the Florida State quarterbacks, and they did it all game long until they finally Notre Dame decided to run a three man front. So I think Demo could get into that a little bit more, but they're going to have to protect them. They may have to go mass protect in some situations and throw screens or stuff to get the defense off balance. You saw it happen with Florida State. Notre Dame, they got a big play on that one big screen because Florida State just had their ears pinned back and they kept rushing, rushing. Notre Dame finally slipped that little screen to the running back. I think Florida State's going to have to incorporate that in their offense. I think the tight ends are going to have to be more involved. You know, where they block and then they release and give, um, you know, Milton a chance to get a guy for a five or 10 yard uh, reception. You know, you can't, you've always talked about this, Corey, you can't go broke taking a profit. If you put Milton in front of the chains, I think he's going to be a very difficult quarterback to stop, but they're going to have to protect him. They're going to have to bring in sometimes two and three tight ends and then mix stuff up. But Demo could get, be more elaborate in that. I just think that that's my concern moving forward that the pressure that they faced on almost every down was really extreme in this game. And, you know, fish, it was out without even blitzing. It yep. was bringing four guys yep. and they were, they were putting mad pressure on a quarterback. You know, we don't know the extent 
of Mackenzie Milton's injury. We don't know the medical history of it. Every like all I kept hearing was he's completely done. After that injury, he was completely done. And the kid did a miraculous job of rehabbing himself and getting him back to where he is. But we still don't know what the lasting effects of that injury are. We still don't know what it does to his leg in practice or after practice, how much time he has to spend in the in the training room before practice, after practice, getting himself ready to go. So, you know. I still think Florida State's best bet is to play with two quarterbacks. I really do. I don't. I think there's a place for the other young man. I really do. But the, but he's not the same quarterback as Milton. He, Milton has uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, he's got uh, it. He's got he's it. He's got it. And he's he's got ice in his veins. I mean, yeah. he's unbelievable. You know, the other guys running around for his dear life because he really was. You know, mm-hmm. but they're going to have to do something to get rid of the ball now. Get rid of the ball now because. Other than that, you're going to have pressure on him for the rest of the year. It's not going to be solved this year. So, but Milton could be a guy that you could bring in as a reliever on and off, on and off, on and off. He's got to drive, extend the drive, then take him out, put the other guy back in, you know, give him a chance to get feeling back in his leg or whatever they're concerned about and worried about with him. But the biggest thing you don't want to do is take a shot on that leg. And that's why I think the ball has to get out of his hands in a hurry, you know, because of that situation. But I really thought that he gave him a spark. It's the same thing I saw down in Tallahassee when I watched him practice. It's the same thing. When he went in, it just elevated the offense. They just had this sense of security about him that they're going to get something done. So I think they have to be smart in the way they use them. But going forward, they definitely can use two quarterbacks. I mean, Timo, what makes him so special, and honestly, this is something you can't teach, his anticipation, his accuracy, and the he puts a ball in a place where his receiver has a chance to make a play on the ball. And he made that play to the sideline. You don't see guys in college make that. Not the, the teams that have a guy like that, that. If this kid was healthy, he's the type of guy that could play on an Alabama or one of these teams and lead them to a championship. He's that good. I, I was such a huge Milton fan at UCF. I was the first one, Corey will tell you this, that I kept saying, if they're going to get a transfer, take a flyer on this kid. Because worst case scenario – He's going to make Jordan Travis better just from a competition level. And, and he's going to push Jordan. And that's what makes schools like Florida State so special is guys make each other better. That's how you get better as a team is the guy behind you continues to push you. And I think that's going to happen uh, all year with these two guys. It's just Jordan, as good as he is, he's very limited in the passing game. And what's going to happen is with teams are going to go, all right, you want to run the ball. They're going to stack that box. And they're going to force him to win games with his arm. And I just don't think he has that same ability as Milton to do that. And that's my concern when you're talking about uh, Jordan Travis. And I'm going to step in and I'm going to say, I was a little, little underwhelmed by the improvements that I had heard about Travis making. And, you know, the one thing when we talk about this staff, Mike Norvell, Kenny Dillingham, and the one thing you heard from day one was development, development, this improvement. I did not see Jordan Travis, Jordan Travis's improvements as a passer. He threw a nice deep touchdown to uh, Ja'Kai Douglas. I thought that's a play that was there last year. You know, it was a simple slot release, and he was able to throw the ball as hard as he could. But in general, I didn't, you know, I still saw a kid that, you know, is very unsure of himself as a thrower, holds onto the ball way too long, hitches, does pretty much everything you don't want to see a quarterback do. And I expected to see some areas of improvement. I And I, I did not see that. I mean, I, I, Corey, and I'm going to jump in with this, and, and Demo will understand this. I remember Steve Spurrier once brought up Danny Werfel. He said Danny was the single – he was the worst practice quarterback that he ever had. But he said for some reason when the lights turned on, he was a different player. He just hit guys in stride and things started to flow. And maybe Milton's that guy and Jordan's just one of those great practice guys. And it's hard when you're watching them because coaches are watching these guys every day. And Jordan, I'm sure, is the hardest worker. He's the first one in, the last one to leave. He's probably studies that playbook. But Milton's just a better quarterback. It's just fact. Uh, It's reality. I don't want to say it's fact, but – it's just reality. You watch the two, and and you, you all you needed to see was 10 minutes, and he makes everybody on that team better. Guys make plays for him that they don't make for Jordan, and it's not a knock against Jordan. I think he's a very good player, and in the right scheme, he probably would have been great in the old Nebraska teams running the option, you know, but he's just – he's limited, and Florida State's offense is going to be limited 
especially as they get deeper in the year and teams start to see film, you can, you can take advantage of his weaknesses more than you can Milton. See, real quick, and, and, I'll, and I'll finish up on McKenzie. He can identify coverage like that. Yep. He knows exactly where the ball is supposed to go like that. Now, if he had more protection, you would even see more wows. Yep. But he has to get rid of it so fast. Where the guy at Alabama, he could just chill out back there, run the dagger out all the way across the field, and throw it wide open to a freaking <laughs> Alabama receiver. He doesn't have the they don't have the they can't afford the ability. They don't have the availability the the, 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 the you know, be able to be able to do that at Florida State. No. So what the kid did, Fish, he the first play in there, red cover two. So they high load the corner. He went right to the corner route. Boom. First play. He went right to the corner route. Yeah. Boom. Then he got him moving. Then he makes that throw over the middle, which was like you said, an NFL quarterback throw. Pew! Over the yeah. linebacker's hands in between a small window. Yeah. Boom. But he knew where he knew where he had to go there. He had yeah. nowhere else to go. Yeah. He had to go there because he read the defense, yeah. knew exactly where to go. He didn't have the protection he wanted. God. It, he doesn't have he doesn't he doesn't afford himself the pleasure, I should say, of having protection like the Alabama quarterback does where they can run daggers across the field. So they have to put the deep offensive scheme in where the ball has to get out now. He identifies the coverage. Boom, the ball's out. And that's what McKenzie can do. Um, all right. So we've talked about Florida State. which We wanted, we wanted to start this podcast on a positive note. There are a lot of positive to talk, <laughs> to talk about Florida State. Now let's talk about Miami and Alabama because it ain't going to get so positive here. Um, Let's just say the Hurricanes were not ready at all for what they faced. And I, we hadn't talked a lot about this game in the past few weeks. I, you know, Fish and I talked. I had a bad feeling. I had a bad feeling just because I always feel like Alabama is six weeks ahead of schedule compared to everybody else. When everybody else is dealing with week one kinks, they're on week seven. And <laughs> it just felt, it felt like one team had been playing for a month and one team – it just started practicing two weeks ago. I, I was, I'd like to say I was shocked, but we've seen this time and time again. I think I was more, I guess if there was a shock value, it was how just completely unprepared Miami looked like they were, how intimidated it looked like they were, how they just like, for whatever reason, they did not expect to see what they saw when we've seen the same thing out of Alabama for 15 years now. Um, I'm going to let you guys take over. Well, here's my say on it. I just saw where Alabama just got their, I think their pass rusher, Allen's hurt. He's out for a few weeks, maybe the rest of the season. They'll just put another dude in there just as good, and he will just make up for it. it, won't, it won't, they, they'll miss him because he's that good, but they won't miss him because the guy behind him is just as good. His name so, is, I'll tell you this, Demo. His name is Drew Sanders. He was the number two player in the nation i believe overall spot you know position uh irrelevant in the 2019 class if i'm not mistaken he's like number two or number something like that so yeah as i told fish they're replacing frankenstein with godzilla yeah you know it was impressive when sanders i think it's the running back you're talking about i, I don't know but they had a running back from florida who was who got in a terrible car accident and worked his way back? He, he had was like the beat. fourth or fifth string running back. He had in his he had his mouth beat Florida boys, Florida boys. Yeah. It was special. It was special, man. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. When Ed Reed played at Miami, and Ed Reed is on the staff now, right? And Ed Reed was hurt, and everybody in the halftime was like, "Oh my God, Ed's hurt." And Ed said, "I ain't hurt, man. If you got to give an arm, you give an arm. If you got to give a leg, you give a leg." And if, if you say that to the Miami guys now, they're like, whoa, 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 you want me to give an arm? What are you, crazy? You want me to give a leg? What are you, nuts? That's the difference, man. They gave an arm a leg. They gave everything else the other day. They, just, they, they, didn't, they didn't give shit. <laughs> they, they took it. They didn't it. give nothing. <laughs> Alabama took it. There are no dudes out there. There are no dudes. Yeah, they're just I, like every other team. I, I thought I, there were dudes out there. They no dudes. I've, I'm not going to lie. Uh, once again, this was not – one of my better weeks as far as like I, I picked Iowa, I picked Texas. I thought those were two teams that um, I was right on. I figured Rutgers would take Temple to the woodshed. I but, watch them games. <laughs> but I thought I thought Miami would come and at least be competitive. I, I did not think they would just get run off the field. It just that you have all offseason to get ready for a game like this. They're trying to take their get their their program to that next level. And the expectations are growing up, I guess 
watching Miami be in so many of these games growing up that they used to be the Alabama of their time. That's what Alabama did to them is what Miami used to do to everybody they played. It didn't matter where they played, when they played them. And it was, from my standpoint, I think it's a little disappointing that they didn't play to a higher level. It's Listen, it's one thing to lo- – listen, Florida State, we talked about it. Florida State did, was not as talented as Notre Dame. But they, you could tell every one of those kids laid it on the line in that game last night. Name one player at Miami that you said, man, that kid played hard for four quarters. It looked That's like my they, point. they quit That's after my point 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and Fish, if, you know what screwed it up? The N, what is it, the NIL, whatever it's called, NLI. Yeah, I'm not blaming the NIL. I'm for blaming this. that because they know what the dudes are saying. Man, I got my money, man. I ain't laying my arm on the light. Yeah. Give my arm, I give my leg. I got money now. But uh, whatever he's trying to say, Alabama's is, getting that money. They just took more. more money. You'll make 10 times more money if you sell out and you're yeah. at the next level. You make 10 times I, more I agree. Money. Listen, Miami's got to get more war daddies. It's, it's, it's part of their thing. Like I said, last year's class was the first class that they signed elite kids. And the problem was I didn't see those kids on the field. I, Leonard, t- Where was Will, Leonard Taylor? He did not play a snap. And there's, Why that's not? Re- I have no idea. That's ridiculous. Because I've been told in practice he's been very, very good. Same with uh, Romello Brinson. Same with uh, all the other fr- – the, the, the freshman players have all been standing out. you got to play that. You know, it's just – you can't – if guys on that team aren't willing to sacrifice, give the younger guys a chance. Because I'm going to tell you something. Young guys will go out there if they get that opportunity and they'll take advantage of it. We like we like Manny Diaz. We respect Manny Diaz. He's a get, He's been a guest on the program. I think he's has, he's, he's very smart. There's tremendous institutional knowledge. Um, that was not a good <laughs> – that's just not – that was not a, a game that would make him as a head coach look good. I, I feel like team preparation is on the head co- – is on the coaching staff. I feel like personnel usage is on the coaching staff. We saw a team that wasn't prepared, and we saw – and we're wondering why certain guys that really should be playing in these situations that are the future of your program were not getting snaps. Was this a case of maybe, you know, Manny overthinking things a little bit, just kind of, you know, getting a little bit too much, you know, not not trusting his gut so much and just maybe going with some things that, you know, that he felt comfortable with instead of just taking, you know, instead of just being the coach that we know he can be. Corey, I don't know if Demo will feel this way. I just think in a game like that, you have to lay it all on the line. If you're going to lose, you can, you have to empty the chambers of your gun. You can't just sit there and go, man, I wish I had done this or that. There was, you can't have the ball fourth and one on the goal line and run it right into the strength of Alabama's defense. You can't do that. You got to score there. They had to score. Every time Miami needed to answer, they did it. They went down seven, nothing. They went three and out. They were down 10, nothing. They went three and out. You're not beating Alabama doing that. You got to, you got to make Alabama uncomfortable. I do believe that Miami has some speed advantages and they did not take advantage to the edges. you got to get those linebackers chasing your guys and force Alabama to play the whole field. They played in a phone booth the whole game, Miami, and that's to Alabama's strength. You're not going to beat them inside a phone booth. And Miami, that's it's, it's like a guy that's a good jabber in boxing and he goes in and he goes, you know what? I'm going to just stay in the inside and fight Mike Tyson from the inside. You're going to get knocked out. And that's what happened. And Miami needs to understand you got athletes, use them, you know, let those guys run and, and, and open it up. And I, you know, I don't know what Demo thinks about it. Where's the corner blitz. Where's the safety blitz where you got to get pressure on that guy. You're going to, you're going to get beat, but at least come after him. You know, you can't do the same thing you've always done. Listen, Alabama scouted Miami uh, and Manny. They have every single game. Trust me, there's nothing Saban hasn't seen. you got to try something different, something they haven't seen on film. Be different. Be different than your tendencies. Miami did nothing different in that game that they they haven't done in the last four years. They played I, – I just – I'm Fish. sorry, you're not going to win like that. No, here's the problem. Here's the problem in a nutshell. Somebody was telling him, you, we're good. Somebody he relies on, one of his confidants, was telling him, we're good, we're ready, we're good. 
you can't hire yes men. You got to have somebody to hire to say, wait, what about this? What about that? I don't think it's right. Uh, you need to listen to different opinions. Whether you take them or not, you need to listen to different opinions. I truly believe somebody was telling him, hey, we're good. We're ready. We're Really? And nobody questioned anything that we're not? And I think sometimes guys get comfortable listening to the people that are yes men, that are company men. Yes, yes, coach, we're good. We're ready. You might have somebody have a different opinion to say, hey, listen, we're not doing this. We're not doing that. We got to get it. Not that that person's trying to break the program, but he's trying to give his but, different opinion. But, but Dima, I'm going to go to a smaller scale because this is a thing that you were part of. When Louisville played Rutgers on that Thursday night, Louisville was a better football team, had better players, was supposedly said that they, that they had better coaching and this and that, and you guys kicked their ass. All right. So, and it's because you let it all hang out. And there every I listen, I sat in that press box before the game. I remember Kerr Persreed and all these guys were like, Rutgers has no shot at winning this game. Nobody gave you guys a shot, but you guys came and played a different style of football that they were used to that night. And your guys were not you as a coaching staff and you guys and your players were not gonna go down. If you were gonna lose, you're gonna go down fighting all the way to the end. And I just don't believe that Miami came out in that same mentality. Yeah, good point. I've done, that's what I'm trying to tell you. There's got to be people on a staff that challenge you as a coach. And don't be afraid. You want to fire me, fire me. I don't care. But I'm going to yeah. challenge you because we're not ready. We're not right. There's something that's wrong here. We're not right. But if too many people tell you everything's great, everything's great, you better make sure you everything is great. All right. Um, let's not pick a winner right now. But let's say this. Miami will host Appalachian State next Saturday. <laughs> at 7 p.m. App State, not a team you can sleep on. We know this. We've known this for, you know, since they beat Michigan in 2007 now. Um, this is not going to be a good week down in Miami. You know how that fan base deals with losing. You know those kids are hearing about it. They are not – there's no one There's no one sugarcoating what they think about Miami's performance from this last Saturday. Um and Dima, you know, you're the coach of this group. How do you get through this practice week? What do you do? You got to, you, you, you want to, you, you, you know, your team has better. You need them to play better, but you can't completely, you know, you can't get them so discouraged that, you know, they're going to, they're going to quit on you this early. This is Alabama. One thing about Alabama, they can, they make teams lives a lot more miserable for the next week's following because they, those losses sting and they stick with it. Yeah, you know, Corey, that's why they pay these guys five, six, seven million dollars a year to make those decisions to make sure their team don't quit. You know, but I think if Miami just shows up, they beat Appalachian State. That's just my opinion. But they do have to make sure the kids don't quit. They get completely frustrated. Okay, but that's your coaching staff. There's people on the staff rallying the kids together, make sure they stay in the right spot, make sure they're still working hard, making sure they're still accountable for things you're asking to be accountable for. Okay, then you show up and you go out and you and you and you, and you, you get revenge for this for this loss. You try to get revenge, but if they don't get the revenge, then you have to say there's something going on that we don't know about. Yeah, I listen. Manny's done a pretty good job. I I've noticed one thing: when they lose games, they come back um, and they play pretty well. It's it's early enough in the season; they still have a lot to play for. They could still win the ACC Coastal. This is a very important game. They got to come. They'll probably they'll probably have some slow moments early on, just trying to get the guys back into the flow of things. But at the end of the day, Miami is just a better football team all around. If they just go play straight, you know, power football and come up and they run, they'll run through Appalachian State. It's nothing against Appalachian State. Miami's just got better players. So if they come back, that listen, they got their butts whipped. Those kids have to want to get that out of their system. And I feel kind of sorry for Appalachian State because these kids should want to get that out of their system and they should be embarrassed. Every player on that team should be embarrassed. There's a pride factor. If right. you're competitive and you got your butt whipped that bad, you're going to want to come out and whip somebody's ass the next week. And I, I expect Miami to bounce back and have a good performance this week. Yeah, the old saying goes, somebody has to pay for this loss. Somebody <laughs> has to pay. But I'll tell you what, with all, with all that criticism we're popping out there, you got to give tip your hat to Miami for playing Alabama in the opening week. They could have played Appalachian State the first game, but they played 
Alabama. Same thing with Florida State, Notre Dame. Same thing with a couple of these other teams. They played high caliber teams that first weekend, and I tip my hat to those guys for doing that. All righty. We're going to come back with part two, talk a little bit about the Gators, uh, UCF, and Boise State have a thriller on Thursday night, and the USF program is appears to be on the brink just 10 games into Jeff Scott's tenure. We'll be right back with more of the FishCast. With more of the fish cast, Corey Long here, joined by Fish and Demo. Had a had an overload of college football this weekend, so we're just going to get it all on our off of our chest today. We'll come back later in the weekend, talk about a few more issues, a few more things, a little bit of recruiting. But right now, it's all college football. Uh, Florida Gators opened up their season Saturday night against Florida Atlantic, thirty-five to seven victory. I watched good portion of this game in between watching uh, Clemson and Georgia and uh, LSU and UCLA. Um, you got a quarterback controversy in Gainesville already. Emory Jones, the starter, didn't have a great night, threw a couple picks, just seemed very unsure of himself as a passer. Anthony Richardson, the guy that I've been harping on for a long time, he, I think he, I think he only threw three passes. You think it was like three for three for 70 yards. He also did an option keeper, ran for a 73-yard touchdown. Everybody in Gainesville is excited about him. Backup quarterback, always the most popular guy on the team. Um, uh, to Jim, to Dan Mullen's credit, he says he wants to stick with uh, Emory right now. Even Richardson backed up his teammate on Twitter. But it just feels like a matter of time before they make that switch or at least make that a a significant timeshare, especially with Alabama coming in two weeks. Um, I don't know how much of either one of you watch the Gator game. If you watch it at all, I will say this. Their front four, very, very good. Zach Carter, a kid out of Tampa, uh, did a body transformation this offseason, changes eating habits, changes lifting habits, looks like a different man. Fish, you and I have talked about Gervon Dexter quite often. Kid out of Lake Wales. He had two fumble recoveries. Um, you know, Todd Grantham's taking a lot of heat for that defense. Uh, and their secondary still is going to be very young, very talented, but very young. But this might this, this front four is real. There's legitimate NFL guys, even high-round NFL guys on this front four. Um, Gators. I mean, I don't know, like I said, I don't know much of you saw it, you know, if so, what'd you see? What'd you like? What do we, you know, there's a lot of things. You got a quarterback situation. A lot of things happen here. Yeah. I mean, they look like a typical team playing their first game. You know, yeah. it looked like they were just trying to, you know, get through the kinks, work through stuff. They were playing an opponent that they knew they could beat. And you know what? You could try things. It may not always look good, but this was basically like a preseason game for them. Getting yeah. ready for the schedule. Listen, we've talked about it. Mullen's going to have this team prepared, all right? They are going to be prepared. We watched Georgia. Georgia has an elite defense. But you can't tell me that if they play Mullen, that they're going to keep Mullen's team to seven points in a game. Georgia's going to have to score in that game more than 10 points to win that game. So I think he's, he's a very good coach. He's going to figure it out. If Anthony Richardson's a guy – He's proven he could develop quarterbacks. I personally think Mullen's one of the best developers of talents at the quarterback position. They look like I, pretty much like I expected. They struggled a little bit at times, but when they needed to turn it up, they turn it up. Defensive line-wise, like you said, they're loaded. Um, uh, Kyrie Elam's a first-round pick in the NFL draft at corner. They got Brandon Marshall. He's going to be an a NFL pick down the road. They're, they're very good up front on the D-line. They got very good running backs. This team is going to look a lot different. They say the most improvement you see is from week one to two in college football. I think you're going to see that improvement from them. I think they don't play Alabama until like week three or four. I think they're going to 
by then they're going to be a much different team than what they look like the other day. I'm not worried about Florida. I just believe in Mullen as a coach. I believe what he does. And I just think he's a very good coach and they'll get it done. They're going to be a, a solid team this year again, and they're going to get nine, 10 wins. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't see it, Corey. I, I'll wait till Florida gets into SEC play, but, but I'll, I'm like fish. I, I, I think they're going to have a surprisingly good team. Which is why I want to ask you a different question. You've, uh, you've been in these situations before. Quarterback competitions, obviously, they, take, they, they, they are the focus of your spring. They're the focus of your training camp. They can't, is it bad for them to be the focus after week one? Like, at some point, the competition has the end. And in a locker room where you, it's clear that you got two, you know, that you know, the players can see what we can all see and what coaches can see. How do you manage those things? How do you manage, you know, because you, you obviously want to do right by the kid that, you know, you're letting start, but you also got to do right by the other 90 kids in that locker room and give them the best chance to win. You know, I think it's an accumulation of everything that's gone on between preseason camp through, through getting ready for this first game and then the evaluation of how you played in the first game. And then you start to make your decision of who you want to go with. And you want, and like, Corey, you're right. You want to make the right decision because it impacts a lot more than just a quarterback position. It impacts everything. Because if you pick the wrong guy and he doesn't play well, and the player's like, well, you shouldn't have picked him anyway. You should have picked this guy. Then you got a problem. So, but you also got to be willing and not afraid to make a change if a change needs to be made. You got to be able to do that because that's what you get paid for. You can't just be hard-headed and stubborn and stick with one guy because I, I made my decision and that's it. You got to be say, wait a minute, you know something? Maybe this other guy is better, and give him an opportunity to go in there and play. But um, it's still kind of early. But I think that that has to. It'll probably come to an end. I, I, I don't think the two quarterback scenario works. Unlike uh, I'm double talking because I believe it will work at Florida State because it's a unique situation. But I think in a regular situation, you're better off picking one guy. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You think now they play Alabama, I believe, on the 18th. And it's like you want to have your situation solidified by then, especially if one kid's not playing up to his potential, other kid's playing well, because it's funny to think, oh, well, we've got two guys and we're going to give Alabama two things to think about. But I tell you this, if they see one kid struggling and they see one kid playing well, they ain't going to focus on the kid that's struggling. They're going to look at you and say, hey, if you're going to waste snaps on a kid that's not playing up to his potential, that's on you. All right, we'll just throw a base defense out there and wait for you to bring in the kid that we're worried about. You know, you can overthink these things a lot of times, and that's a concern. Um, the Gus bus got on a roll Thursday. It took about a three-hour weather delay for that thing to get going, but at about 1.30 in the morning, uh, uh, they, the, the UCF defense finally held on for 36-31 victory over Boise State in a grossly entertaining game. Um, was not a good start for UCF. They stormed down the field, but on first and goal, uh, uh, Dylan Gabriel threw a, threw a bad throw that turned into a pick six. Boise State goes up 21 to nothing. Fish is texting me about how horrible UCF's defense is. Um, but then, you know, it's funny. They get a touchdown. They make it 20. I think they make it a 21 to seven. Then they get a stop. It was their first stop, and the game sort of settled in after that. I think Boise gets a field goal. Then the most important thing in football happens. UCF scores before the half. They get the ball first in the second half, score again. A 17-point deficit is now a three-point game. They eventually continue to turn it up. Their defense, great adjustments on their defense. Their defense had the second, the last two and a half quarters, though they were very good. Um, UCF's got some other situations. You got um, – Cincinnati, you got Louisville, they got to play, you got SM, you got some decent teams and the American, but you know, they're, they look like a team that could go 12 and up. They look like a team that if they get everything together, they get on a roll, they could, they could, they could run the table. Well, you know, Boise is a tough opponent because you're going to be ready to play. So I give my hat off to UCF because again, they played a, a conference tough opponent and they end up coming out with the victory. And I think what you said, Corey, is very important is that if you have the ball before the end of the half, 
and you can score, whether it's three points or a touchdown, you try and do that. Unless circumstances tell you you can't, you got to take your knee, run it out. Because if you can score there and you get the ball in the second half and you go down and make it, make some adjustments and score again, that's a big, big swing in the game for momentum. And uh, they did it, and you could see the momentum turn in the game. Yeah, you know, we talked about it before. UCF is a very talented team. They've, they stepped back a little bit last year, but they still have one of the best quarterbacks in that conference. So anytime you have a quarterback that good um, that could get the other players in their, the ball in their hands, uh, you have a chance to win. They just got out of the gate real slow. I get, you know, when you have that many weather delays, it happens. And lucky for them, they were able to finally get it together, but they did not look good defensively early in that game. And their defense was a problem last year. And when you talk about going undefeated, you have to have a defense follow you because some days your offense isn't going to click and you're going to need the defense to step up and make plays. They have the athletes on that side of the ball. It will be interesting to see if they get it together on the defense side of the ball. Because if they are going to go undefeated, they're going to need the defense to play a lot better than they did in game one. And, you know, they've got some big news coming up, potentially massive news uh, this week with the future of that program and, and joining the Big 12. And that's something that we're going to talk about when it happens. I'm not going to do too much speculation on that one. Um, final thing, really, I want to get to also a Thursday night game. Uh, our buddies USF in Tampa. Uh, no, it just was a it was a terrible night. They, they, they went up to NC State. 45 to nothing loss. They look about as non-athletic as I've seen a USF team look. Demo, you've coached against USF a ton of times in your career. And I, I know you didn't see this game, but uh, I, I, I just, I look at that, that, that team and I, I know, you know, I live in St. Petersburg, so I know a ton of graduates, a ton of the fan base and that everybody's almost giving up, you know, between what's happening with UCF and where they are, and I look at their recruiting, they're, they, they're not getting more athletic is one thing I can tell you. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. I, I like Jeff Scott. I thought he was a good hire. And I think in the terms of what the job that he was taking, which, you know, you look at, you know, what Levitt did was good. You look, you know, Willie Taggart was able to use it as a springboard job. I think Jeff was thinking, Scott was thinking of that same idea that you can come here you can win some games. They'll put you in a better spot. But the, the USF program that he's taking over, it does not look like it's going to be in a spot that be a springboard for anybody in the next few years, especially, you know, as conferences expand and they get left behind. So it's it, the desperation of not only winning, but just looking competitive. I mean, they're desperately at the look competitive. They got Florida this week. They host the Florida Gators this week. That's probably going to be an ugly loss. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm going I'm to I'm let you – you talk a lot about this. You're – you know, what do you do? If you're in a situation like where you, you feel like this program is – they can go one or two roads, and that other road is a dead end. How do you get them to avoid that dead end? Well <clears> – <throat> You know, I was fortunate enough in my career to play USF and say what you want about Levitt. I think he was a perfect fit for the job. The kids went there. He fought through meetings and trailers to putting that situation together. And sometimes the guy's the perfect fit for the job. You ought to keep him because he was getting it done. However, they don't have their stadium on campus. And I think that's where UCF got them. UCF built that nice facility on campus and they're starting to attract that kind of talent and coaches to help them propel to the next level where UCF's kind of like the, the redheaded stepchild kind of just out there and they're not producing, they're not winning and nobody not getting help from anybody. They have to travel over where the bucks play to play. And I think it's, it hurts their fan base too. So I think it's a crumbling program. Now, can they survive? Yeah. But when they play Florida Gators next week, Oh my goodness, I don't care where they host them home or away. It doesn't matter. They're going to get murdered. But I, 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 again, it's a special place. We have to go in and you have to recruit the kids, man, and get them in there. And, and, and again, if, if they start going elsewhere, you got to fight to get them back in there because you're in a fertile recruiting area. No doubt yeah. about it. I mean, I, I'm going to make a little comparison here. Listen, I, I, I've met Jeff Scott. I, I've seen him recruit at Clemson. Listen, Clemson's not 
USF. You have to recruit a different type of player. And I, I think you could kind of compare maybe someone like a Charlie Partridge who went to FAU and you think you get four or five years and you could get the, your, these character kids in there and you got to build this foundation and you're going to do, and you have this whole plan. That plan goes out the window after that first loss. And then all of a sudden those losses mount. You have to bring in talent. And sometimes at a USF, you're going to have to take a chance on a high character, a risk kid that, all right, the kid's so talented, but would we, you have to ask yourself, would we have a shot at this kid if he didn't have those red flags? Is this kid good enough to play a Florida state, a Miami, a Florida, but the reason we have a shot is because they're a red flag. Levitt did not mind taking those type of kids. Willie Taggart did not mind taking those kids. They believed in their ability to develop those kids and make them better men. And that's why they won. Jeff Scott, if he's going to go in there and go, you know what? I've got four years and these, I'm going to get my type of kids. Well, you know what? He's going to have a lot more games like he just had last weekend and another one's right up on deck. And the problem is, as we talked about this, when you keep getting beat and beat and beat and not just beat, pounded into the turf, kids don't want to go there. They do. They want to see that there's some hope. They don't care that they, that you're losing. Like last night, we talked about at Florida State and and uh, Notre Dame. Kids went and left that game and thought, "All right, I'm the difference between them winning and losing." They want exactly right. they want to know that there's some hope. If you just go in and you're just some team's homecoming queen, you, they don't want to see that every week. I, I just and USF has to understand that he's trying to recruit the same type of kids he had at Clemson. He's not going to win there. It's just not going to happen. Fish, you're right. When those kids and recruits are at that game last night and walked away and said, ah, Florida State played their rip. Look at this atmosphere. Yeah. Look at this atmosphere. And if I can help them beat Notre Dame and beat the other schools, I'm going to Florida State. Yeah. All right. And, you know, the one thing that you talk about recruiting and taking high character, high risk kids, and I, I agree with all that. The one area that Willie and Willie Taggart and Jim Levin did not do that in, but they got the most athletic kids they could find was at quarterback. Like Matt Grothy was a good kid. Quentin Williams, BJ Daniels, all good kids. And that was, and it was great because those kids were athletic. They could do a lot of things. They, as you know, Demo, Matt Grothy, hard kid to coach against, right? Hard kid to figure out how to stop. You know, he went to my high school, went to Lake Gibson high school. Um, Tough as nails. Yeah, Quentin, Quentin Flowers, hard kid, you know, hard kid to stop. And that, you know, that that also helps you be able to draw in these kids that might be a little risky because they're going to see a kid that leads the program that they don't want to let down. That's why, you know, for all the risky kids that Levitt and Taggart took, they didn't have that many problems because they had good kids at the front. And and like you said, Fish, they had faith in themselves as coaches and in their staffs that they can make these kids better. Right now, I can tell you, USF, they don't have, they, I don't, I don't, like I said, I, I like Jeff Scott. I think he might be a good leader of a program, but I don't know if they have that on-field leader. They don't have a guy that, you know, there's nobody there to rally kids around in the game to say, we got to play hard for this guy. You know, we, this guy's giving us all of these God, I just see I see a lot of kids that are looking, you know, you see a demo kids that are looking for somebody else to lead them, looking for something to grab onto, and there's just nothing there. No. So you have to have guys on your staff that are able to deal with those kind of kids. If you don't, they're gonna say, Oh, he's a bad kid. I can't do you have to have coaches that go above and beyond to deal with kids, which I've done at every place I've been. I've did whether the head coach knew it or not, I took care of kids. Make sure they stayed out of trouble. Make sure they, did, they went this way, went that way. Don't worry about it. Because I knew that kid was a difference maker and going to help us win games. Now, we're going to watch Louisville and Ole Miss tonight. Louisville was one of those programs that I compared to a UCF or a USF. And they went, they went through the ups and downs, but they seem to be back up again. And it's all because recruiting, the kind of kids they recruit there. And I truly believe that. No doubt. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, it's interesting because USF is such a – it's a tough place to recruit, and you wouldn't think so because it's located in a pretty good area. But as we know, 
as I know, like Tampa, the Hillsborough County coaches were not always fond of Jim Levitt and they openly hated Willie Taggart. I mean, they just didn't like him. And I could go for my personal reasons of why that was, but Jim Levitt and Willie Taggart recruited around them. You know, Willie, yes, Taggart, they did. Willie Taggart had so much, you know, he had so much clout in Bradenton, Sarasota, Fort Myers, Polk County. Levitt had clout in Pinellas County, Polk County, Braden, Sarasota, Fort, you know, Miami. Both of them had little spots so they could know they could get kids down in Broward and Miami. They just said, you know what, we can win without Hillsborough County because we're good. I work like Skip Holtz. He part of the reason why I think he struggled, he was so desperate to be liked by Hillsborough County coaches that he took care of And their talent level dropped because if a coach, as you know, when you're recruiting if you if a high school coach knows he can give you any kid he wants he's just going to give you he's not thinking about whether they could play there or not he's just thinking about hey i like this kid i want to reward this kid you know and that's where and there was little thing and i i don't want jeff scott to fall into that trap obviously you want to be liked by the local coaches you want to be respected by the local coaches but at the same time understand you gotta you gotta fuck you gotta make sure you're getting kids that can play and that can help you win and not to play Kate and not to make you know a high school coach happy all the time you know it's hard that's a hard conversation to have but at the end of the day you're you're judged on your wins and losses you're not judging how many friends you make with high school coaches no doubt you're right and you're right you're, I can tell you this real quick because I know fish gotta get going back in the day when I was at NC State Mike Loxley was at Maryland. He was an assistant coach. And Bruce Feldman tracked me and Loxley down in Tampa. We were running all over the place recruiting the same kids to try to get to NC State in Tampa. Then everybody started getting into Tampa. But prior to that, you're right, Corey, there were some kids in that Hillsborough, Pinellas County area that were great players, but I didn't care. If that was a good player, I'm going after him. I don't care who's recruiting him, who's not recruiting him. What anybody says, I'm getting the best player. And sometimes you get enemies doing that. So be it. Absolutely. All right. Oh, week one is up. Uh, <laughs> any final thoughts, Fish? No, I just, I think, you know, a lot of times you can overreact to week one. I mean, you see it so many times. If you win, you're going to the championship. If you lose, your season's over. A lot of these teams will look a lot different in two or three weeks. It still hasn't shaken itself out. I, you know, I'm sure George is not going to score 10 points in every game and Clemson's only going to put a seven spot up or three spot, whatever they put up. I, these hey, wait, teams, wait, wait, Fish, that's all Georgia put up was a three spot. They intercepted the pass for a touchdown. All right, all right, so three, okay. three. So, but, uh, but I'm saying I don't think they're going to be looking like that every week. Uh, they, well, they better not, or they're not going to go very far this year. But I think these teams will adjust uh, from week one or two, and the, the football is going to continue to get a, a lot better. And I, I, I think it's going to be an exciting college football season. What was nice, and Demo talked about this, the fans at most of these games, oh, it was it was electric at a lot of these stadiums. Beautiful. Yeah, having full stadiums, the fans were back in, and the players seemed a lot more engaged this year than they did last year. So I think overall, college football is on uh, will probably have one of its best seasons in, in that they've had in the last ten years. So I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to another fish cast in the next you know few days. We'll talk more football and recruiting, and it's only going to get better from here. Real quick on the Clemson-Georgia game, Corey. The Clemson offensive coordinator has to help out that quarterback. They run the same – he's not He's not that kid, Trevor Lawrence. He's a different kind of kid. So he has to scheme the offense around that kid. They ran the same offense they did with Trevor Lawrence, and my man Kirby Smart was sitting all over the routes. He was yeah. sitting on every single route. Well, so I'm, that poor kid had nowhere to throw the ball. So you've got to develop your offense for that quarterback specifically at Clemson because I still think Clemson's a very good football team. Me too. I mean, the kid's 6'4", 250, and he's got some legs. I thought – I was telling Fish, they got to get him physically involved in this game. they got to let him get one-on-one -on -one with the linebacker and tell him, truck somebody, you know, get yeah. yourself hyped up. Get yourself energized. I just felt like they just, he just lacked the energy, and that offense showed. Now yeah. watch this. Clemson's O-line did protect him enough, but the, Georgia was sitting on all the routes. Yeah. So the yeah. kid was like, oh! and had to take off but it, yeah. there was nothing designed for the kid so i know i know it's, we're, we're closing the show but if, if clemson wants to improve and i think george is the same thing they got to revamp their offenses because both of them had good defenses uh sure if clemson doesn't do anything they're going to lose another game or two it's just yeah you you can't be 
as inefficient as they were on offense to play in the playoffs and, and make a run at a national title. Yeah. As always, fans of the Fishcast, you can find us on Twitter at the Fish Podcast. The Fishcast is available anywhere where you enjoy listening to podcasts, be that Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. We're also part of the FNF Coaches Podcast Network and proud to be part of that. Um, we will be back later in the week to talk some more stuff. It's going to be a really long, fun season. I'm very excited about it. And for Charles Fishbein, Coach Demo, Chris Demarest, my name is Corey Long. We want you to have a great week. Be safe out there. Thank you. Thank Florida you. State, Florida State, Florida State. Woo! They don't. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.